All right, welcome back to the everybodysuffers.com podcast. Everybody suffers, so how can I pray for you? I'm Carl Brown, and my hope is that through this podcast, I can help you make sense out of suffering so that either you experience consolation or you can share consolation with others. Today's episode is a continuation of a series that we've got with an interview with Ed Joseph, who is the mystic next door. He wrote a book called The Mystic Next Door. The last couple episodes, he shared with us introductions into a mystical life that he experienced as a teenager, and then talking about a horrific car accident that he was in. And he's going to share us more about his his experience in the mystical world. So this episode is something you're not going to want to miss. This episode is sponsored by Our Lady of Kibeho. Kibeho, Rwanda was the site of the most recent major church-approved apparition of our Blessed Mother. She warned of the Rwandan genocide of 1994, and she reintroduced the Seven Sorrows Rosary. Mary gave this warning more than 10 years before the genocide, which she confirmed by predicting the death and resurrection of three visionaries in Rwanda. And the warning she gave the people of Rwanda she specifically said was not just for Rwanda, but a warning for the whole world. So what will you do now? Will you pray the rosary every day as she asked? Or will you one day regret not having done enough to prevent what she warned us about? And the first seven episodes of this podcast are full recitations of the Seven Sorrows Rosary individual with individual reflections. So I encourage you to listen to those so you learn how to pray the Seven Sorrows Rosary. Let's begin with prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Lord, send forth your spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, help me to only say what you want me to say. Make me forget whatever it is you want me not to say and open the ears of this audience that they can hear whatever it is that you want to hear. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray Holy for us Mary. sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. World. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ed, thanks so much for joining me again on this podcast. These episodes are are smoking hot. Everyone is texting me and telling me this is awesome. I had one guy text me and say, "Let me let me read it because it's such a great it's such a great testimonial." He said, "Okay, hold on a second. This podcast is insanely amazing. Words cannot express my amazing emotions <laughs> after listening to it." <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I've been listening to them as well, and, and uh, they keep me they keep me hanging on the edge of my seat, which I think is funny because you and I are the <laughs> yeah. guys that are doing it, and, and I think it's really interesting. I think that, that's pretty cool. Uh, God sure. is amazing, right? So. I've always said the words that I give, I mean, they don't come from me. I'm not a speaker. I'm not a writer, but yet I do both things. So it's we all are him. brothers from a spiritual mother, <laughs> for sure, because I am, yeah. I am not also, doubt. Yes. I, you know, I had not I didn't consider myself a writer, and, and then all of a sudden I'm writing about the Seven Sorrows of Mary. 
But the last couple episodes were really just introductions to this. This is the, the central talk, I think, this one and the next episode, because people are, are drawn to hearing about a horrific car accident and just like, how did you survive that? And, and tell, tell me about the gore and the details and wow, that's shocking and amazing. But that was just the prelude because then you end up, you find yourself in the hospital and that's when things really started getting amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the funny thing is, is very early on, I had an indication that I had a mystical experience. I didn't even realize it. You know, we leave the, we leave the accident scene in the helicopter and I'm still sedated. I don't remember waking up until I'm on the operating table and I look into the eyes of the doctor doing the surgery on me and I, the pain is so overwhelming. And in my mind, I say, oh my God, it would have been easier to choose death. And then I immediately say, wait a minute, did I make a choice? And then of course they, they put me back under and, you know, I would, it, later I would come that, that little, you know, just the way God works, that, that little moment there was, was given to me so that I could place the timing of the first mystical experience because it happened before I was even, you know, at the hospital. And in some Somewhere I had a choice that I made. And so that, that was, you know, but at the time I have no idea, you know, I don't, nothing is apparent to me yet. But yeah, so I ended up, I, you know, they told my wife that I would spend months in the hospital and then I would spend additional months in rehab. And I ended up 18 days and I was home, which was a miracle in itself. But I had seven operations wow. in the first seven days. And from the yeah from the moment of the wreck i the pain was so overwhelming so saturating i couldn't really think of anything except i can make it one more second and in 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 all of the rooms in the in the icu there was a clock on the wall with a sweep second hand and it's funny because it takes longer than a second to say i can make it one more second <laughs> but that's what i did second by second i would watch that hand go by and that's how i lived for the first probably eight, nine days was second by second. And it was just, it was saturating. The pain was saturating. And I'm going to, I won't go into as much detail because I think later you will have a, maybe a surprise. I don't want to give it away about the, the, the passion kind of talking through it. So maybe we'll hold, hold off on some of the finer details of what the pain was like and we'll cover it then so we don't rehash it. But to say that I was saturated means that my senses were so overloaded that when someone new would walk into the room, it, it would cause agonizing pain, right? So like I'm, I'm in such a high level of pain that any additional stimulus of seeing someone move or enter the room or speak caused agonizing pain because it, it was like my my senses were running at full capacity and then it was just you know th there was just an overabundance of stimulus and so when anything new came in it just shot pain through my entire body and the idea of somebody touching me just touching me I, I remember my brother coming in one morning and wanting to give me a hug and, and I 
I was screaming, no, 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 don't touch me. Right. Yeah. Cause like just him, just his, I mean, he wasn't going to squeeze me. Right. He just wanted to give me comfort. Right. But it was, it, that, that was the level of pain that I was in. I didn't, I didn't know that level of pain existed. I, I never imagined. And it was, you know, if you're on the stereo with the proverbial, you know, crank it up to 10, this stereo went to 50, right? It was so far above where you thought the top of it was. And that's, that's how I lived every moment of every day. And, uh, there, there were things, uh, humilities, you know, as a young, strong man, and uh, I couldn't even go to the bathroom myself. People had to help me go to the bathroom. I mean, I couldn't leave the bed. And, and it's just, there was a, yeah, I just remember, <laughs> I remember crying like a baby, like, like, <laughs> like blubbering, sobbing the first time that they had to help me go to the bathroom. It was so humiliating. And the pain um, medicine didn't and help. So, right? so you know, I I I talk about it and say the pain medicine didn't help. I didn't think the pain medicine helped. There really is for for bone injuries, and you know, we talked about how many broken bones I had in the last episode. The narcotics don't necessarily help that core pain, right? Where the where it's coming from, it can kind of dull it a little bit. And I didn't think that the narcotics were doing anything. And uh, later we're going to find out that they actually were because the level of pain I just told you was just a taste of where I was headed. <laughs> and so, then you, as you said in the last episode, you exited time. What a crazy way yeah, to describe so, something that uh, no one else <laughs> that's listening has probably ever experienced. Yeah. So we, we would end up making, you know, seven days I was in the, in the ICU and then we moved down to a step down unit and man, my, my family, so my, my brother and a friend from, she's from college, they spent the nights with me and my sister and one of her brothers would spend the days with me. And that was one of the things, that was one of the other pains was the fear that was on everybody's face, right? Everybody was worried. You know, one of the things that I, I'm not sure if I mentioned when I was in the car, uh, I had this knowing, I knew that I would not die. And it wasn't, it wasn't shock and it wasn't machismo. It wasn't denial. Like I knew I was going to live. See, but I was the only person <laughs> I think that knew I was going to live. And for the first few days in the hospital, you know, I can assure you that the doctors were very worried that I wasn't in my family. And that, that causes, it's kind of such a drain, you know, day after day with the family worrying about you. I could see that worry on their face and it caused a, an interior pain, right? Not a, not a physical pain, but it, it, I, I ached for them. See, because I knew, and even, you know, the first several days, first, I think three days, I had a, a breathing tube in, so I couldn't even speak. And I couldn't tell them mm -hmm. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I'm going to live. Like I know that. Right. So when the end of that first week came and I got stepped down into that or put in that step down unit, I told them, I said, look, you know, we're good. We know I'm going to live now. You guys are exhausted. Everybody, please go home. And I sent everybody home. And one of the things that the nurses would always do, they always wanted to turn the TV on for me. And they didn't understand that 
the the you know if somebody entering the room wanted to make me scream could you imagine what putting the tv on would have done and i just tell them oh gosh please no don't don't put the tv on it first night in the step down unit the nurse comes in and says the same thing she says would well, you want the tv on i said no i'm i'm good and man like i said the pain was just it, it never ended it never stopped it was every moment it it just continued on 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 right it didn't ever lessen it it just was there you couldn't escape it and in my mind i wanted to run away although i was you might as well say i was paralyzed because every part of my body was injured to the point that i couldn't move it and after she left that room the nurse that asked for the, me to put the tv on i noticed right below the tv was this bright light it, you know like maybe the size of a credit card and it was so incredibly bright that it you know now it reminds me of when somebody puts their their you know their phone light on to take a picture and it's like so blindingly bright you you got to squint that's how bright this was and it was a, a small square on the center block wall about the size of a credit card brilliantly bright and as i look at it i think what what is that and man next thing i know i am transported through it as i i like fly through it it opens up big enough to absorb me and it's a tunnel it's a tunnel of like a backwards tunnel it is brilliantly bright white light surrounding me and at the end at the very far end and it's really far i'm moving through it at like a tremendous speed at the very far end there's darkness like it's an opposite tunnel like you go into a tunnel normally it's dark and there's light at the end this is a, this is a bright tunnel with darkness at the end and I come out of that bright tunnel and I'm in this room and I'm looking down at a scene that like I suddenly remember. I, I'm, I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I remember this. And then after I made that initial d discovery that I remember this, uh, I was living it for like like it was the first time. It was no longer a memory. I was living it like it was the first time. And. The one what, was the, 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 what did you re recognize? So I'm going to, I'll tell you, I, I, I just heard the room, the whole, I remembered the experience from that position mm. from above the room. And then now I'm in the room and I, I'm living it. And this is the first thing I noticed is that, that I had exited time. And to say that you exited time, I can't really even explain it except that, it's we have this clock, I think, that, that ticks in our subconscious. We know always aware that time is moving on. You know, as we talk here now, we know right? we, in our mind, we already have our day planned and what we have to do and how is this fitting into it. Right. We understand there's just this concept, this this construct of the universe that is like bred into our cells and. I left it, and it was as if every cell of my body understood that. There is no further movement. It is just, it is one, you're, you're living in a second that will remain that second for all eternity. All eternity. I exited time and lived in an eternity, and I still here on this earth struggle to comprehend it. So I, I, I feel for your listeners, and I, I pray that, the you know the holy spirit comes and and gives us the words and opens our mind to understand it because it eternity is something that we need and to try to understand you know when you first, so that was the first when we were talking about this at first i said this is like a fish 
swimming back down to his buddies and saying, wow, that was rough. A fisherman took me out of the water. And then the other fish would say, what's water? Because right. they're so right. immersed exactly. in it, they don't even yeah, understand we, that that's what they're immersed in. Yeah, that, and that's a, that is absolutely perfect. And that is perfect. Right. So we're immersed in time. And we have no concept of what it is when you're not in it. And so that's where I was. So that was the first thing that I noticed was that I, that, that I had exited time and that this instant would last forever and that forever is something when there's no time. See, see, this day may seem like forever to us, but we know at some point the night will come and this day will end. See, but there, there is no, there's no looking forward to anything ending because there is no end. It just goes on and on and on and it never stops. So that's what forever is, right? And the next thing I realized is that I could see my, my vision was so crystal clear that it, it absolutely pained me. And uh, I had knowledge. I had knowledge. I'm going to call it the knowledge of the world. I, my, it was just, I didn't even have to recall it. I knew it all. I knew it all, and I knew it instantly. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to remember it. I had, if it was ever written, recorded, spoken, thought of in this world, I knew it. That's called infused and knowledge. Then, That's how angels, like for example, angels, they can't smell because they don't have noses, but they can't really see because they don't have eyes, and they can't hear because they don't have ears, but what they have is infused knowledge. They just understand the yeah. situation because God grants them that knowledge. And that's right. like what you yeah. have. This, this, yeah, this knowledge was granted to me, right? It, 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 it was a, you know, was it a, it might've been a, it might've been subject to the place I was, right? Maybe anyone who enters that place receives that knowledge. I, you know, I, I don't know. I still struggle to understand exactly what this place is, but we'll we'll talk about it. Maybe some of your listeners will have some clues and maybe some theologians out there will solve the riddle for me. But the next thing that I, I realized was that I was alone for the first time in my life. See, I never realized I was 46 years old. I never realized that God and see what I'm going to say here. This is one of those parts where I told you that there are some things that I w was shown that I knew applied to all of mankind. And this is one of those. God holds our souls from the moment that he places it into our body until after our death. We are in God's touch every moment of every day, whether we realize it or not. See, I didn't realize it. I never felt it. I didn't know his hand held my soul. And it, and it holds in a particular way. It, it, he cups our soul like, like you would hold a, a softball. And his hand protects our soul from evil entering into it, from the rear and from the side, from where we can't see. If, if, if evil is going to enter into our soul, it's going to come through the front. We're going to see it, and we're going to allow it in. Evil cannot sneak in on us. We let it in. And the Lord protects us from evil entering when we don't see. The horrifying thing about it is, is that I myself, even now, still today, after everything I've seen, I still let evil in, right? It's just, it's so, one, it's insidious. And sometimes sometimes you don't understand what it is, but you sometimes in the back of the mind, you know that it, it, it's bad, but I'm going to let it in anyways, right? I mean, it's just craziness that we do it. 
But see, that was he took his hand away from my soul to to say that it was horrifying. Again, every time that I'm going to talk to you about this other world, the words that I use, the words of this world are so diminished. It's kind of like how I describe that pain. And I and I say, like, we think of a stereo of like being at 10 and then I was at a 50 on the pain. So, so like now, if you can think of, of as saying that the Lord taking his hand away from my soul was horrifying, you know, instead of it being a 50, it it was an infinity, right? It, we're t- cranking that that horror up to a level of infinity that that even now. I can't understand. It brings tears to my eyes to think about losing his touch, but it was horrifying. And now at that moment, I realized that I could I could see all around me. I could see 360 degrees. I did not see my body. I felt like I was hovering about three feet above the ground, like I was on a table that wasn't there. And I, I could look all around. I mean, if I wanted to look at where my toes should be but weren't, I could like go backwards and roll backwards and come and look at my feet from the backside or the front side or left or right. And so I, I looked around to the, my back and, and behind me was a being, but it gave me no solace. Like I, I was alone and I I had lost God's touch and this being had his back to me again through this infused knowledge. I knew that that being would speak truth. And see, I was I was really a poorly catechized Catholic. You know, back in the day, I'd always heard that hell was the absence of God. And if you remember, I was talking about before the wreck, I, I, I said that I used to always think when I would hear that phrase, I'm like, well, that's not that bad. I mean, God's not here now. How, you know, so what, what would be so bad about hell? Because God's not with us now. See, I had no idea that the Lord was holding my soul while I was saying that horrible thing, right? While I had that thought that was so wrong, the Lord still was holding my soul. And I had the benefit of that comfort that I didn't even know because before I was born, he was holding it. It was all I ever knew. Back to your fish and water, right? I never knew that the Lord was holding me. And if you would tell me that he could take his hand away, I wouldn't even understand that his hand was there. But it was gone. And that's all I could feel was his absence. So I I look at this being that I know is going to speak truth and i being poorly catechized as i am i say because i've lost god i say is this hell and he flatly says no and then being you know a a catholic the next thing i go down to is is this purgatory and he's he says no and he says this is forever now i didn't want to be there i didn't want to be in this forever and so i said how do i get out and he said that is up to you and i said well what do i do and he said that is up to you and then he was gone. And he didn't really give me any solace anyways because I didn't I didn't feel hate nor love from him. I felt if anything indifference. And so I was a I now I I was truly alone, right? I the Lord had left me. And I was the 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 shock and terror of the Lord leaving me. I I don't want to downplay it. it in my mind it was like the screams you hear in a horror movie, right? When the really bad stuff's happening and it just don't, it doesn't end. It just goes on and on and on. 
And it's going to go on like that forever. You're going to live in a stark moment of terror for the rest of your life. And your life lasts forever. There's no end. And you know that. You know that you're not going to grow old and die someday and be free from this. This is it forever. I was able to look around the room. The room was a small cylindrical room, like almost like a silo, right? And it had these, it, the highest gloss red. It was so red and so shiny. It, it hurt your eyes to look at. And the doors, there were doors. All the, the wall was made out of doors and they were all different sizes. And they had these f like flush handles. And it didn't matter. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't have an, arms to reach out and grab them anyways. It, I'm not even sure what the doors represented or why they were there, but they were of no use to me. And, and then I looked up at the ceiling and the ceiling was a, like a translucent white material. On the other side of it was, was a red viscous liquid that, that reminds me of, of blood. It was like a thick blood and it just sort of moved around in a circle. And I know this is really weird, but it like when we see the slushy machines at the store, right? And it has that little, and the slushy moves around in that circle as it turns it. That, that's what it looked like. Now, once I looked at this, I could not look away from it. And looking upon it caused even more horror than the loss of God. And I could not take my eyes away from it. And looking upon it caused a white hot burning in my soul. I can I can feel it now when I think about it. It actually it brings up like a a bile taste in my mouth. It this white hot burning bored down to the center of my soul, and my soul was so much larger than I ever understood. I mean, it bored down like a million miles deep, and it was just white hot burning, and I. I, I couldn't take my eyes off it. That looking at that look would cause that cause such horror. Now I knew I could get out, right? The entity that, that I knew spoke truth told me I could get out and it was up to me. And all I had was this vast knowledge. And so I I used math was the first thing I did. I started doing math problems in my head. And I'm not talking like two plus two, right? I'm talking about the math problems like we see in the movies where the equation is wrapped around the room on the chalkboard, right? And it's line after line after line. I was doing those in my head and it was, it wasn't difficult. It wasn't hard. It would just like, it, it would be like as easy as reciting the alphabet. You know, we really don't even, we, it's just like rote memory for us, right? We can recite the alphabet. I mean, that's one of the things they, right? They do that on, you see the, the, the alcohol tests, right? Say the alphabet, right? It, cause, cause anybody can say it, right? So if you, if you're too drunk to say that, right, you know you're really drunk. So this is what this math was like. It, it was just easy. It was nothing. I, I was doing these chalkboard problems that, you know, had, you know, 50,000 characters of, of math in it. And I could just, I could just blurt it out without any effort. I, I did all of the math, all of it. And then I moved on to poetry. I recited poetry that even now this day, I don't know what I said. I don't even, if you, I, I mean, I'm not a guy that reads poetry, but I said it all. Then I started going through the works of the great writers like Shakespeare. You know, I, I did the Shakespeare, you know, back in college or, or high school, I think I did one college I did. We, we did a, a Shakespeare, right? We had to read a, a, one of his works and well, I did them all, even the ones I don't know. I, I just recited them to myself. 
then I moved on to why do you think you problems. were doing that uh, it's so all was I it, had. were you looking for comfort right? no I was looking for an escape and he said oh, that so it was you were up trying to, to get doors, out so to speak See, it, it, right yeah because all I had was intellect all I had was knowledge See, see, the one thing I didn't have is I didn't have God. And although I knew of God, although I missed God, although I wanted God, he was not there. Well, here's the crazy thing is, is that with everything that I did have, I did not have prayer. See, I did not, I did not pray in any of this time. And I did not pray because I did not know prayer existed. So that I've studied since, right? Coming back from this, I've I've tried to make myself more educated in the faith. Prayer wells up from God, right? It is a gift from the Holy Spirit. So I always tell people, if you can pray hallelujah, the Lord is with you. Because I was at a place without God. And not only could I not pray, I did not know prayer existed. I mean, think about that. I knew I could do math problems that, you know, even basic calculators can't do. I, I could recite poetry, like literally every volume of every poetry ever written. I knew everything about the world, but I did not know that prayer existed. So I go through all of it, right? You know, logic problems. I, I, I go until I exhaust all the knowledge in the world. Think about how long that would take. I mean... I, and I granted, I didn't sleep, I didn't eat. All I did was use knowledge. But think about the vast quantity of knowledge, everything ever recorded on this earth, how long it would take to use it all. And I did. And I finally come to the end of it. You know, I once saw a commercial for like high speed internet, and a guy says, Oh my gosh, that's it. I came to the end of the internet. Like he had looked at everything, right? You know. That's what I was. I, I used up all the knowledge. And, and then I, I, I kind of I, I did a self-evaluation. Now, I, while I was there, on top of all the horror, on top of all the pain, I was crushed under an ocean of weight of my sin. Right? So I felt the cumulative effect of every sin that I had ever committed in my life. And it weighed on me as if I was at the bottom of a very deep ocean. And I mean, we understand the concepts of that, right? Like submarines can only go so deep because at some point they get so deep that the, the pressure of the water crushes them, right? I'm at the bottom of this ocean with the weight of my soul crushing me. And you realize at that point, I realized that this was a just punishment. See, I agreed with where I was. This was a just punishment because of my actions, because of the effects that I had done in my life, because of my neglect to the Lord. This was a just and righteous punishment. I agreed with it. I knew that I would be there forever, and it is what I deserved. And at that point, I resigned myself and said, there is nothing I can do to get out. And at that moment, remember this whole time, I'm looking in sheer terror at that red viscous liquid. It looked like that that it changed color. It got just a little lighter. Like I, I believe that that ceiling that was separating it from me changed. 
And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, you're doing it. You're doing it. Keep it up. And then I, I like correct myself immediately. And I'm like, you're not doing anything. You can't do anything. There is nothing you can do. And at that point, I, I used to say that it seemed like the walls crumbled down and I that fluid like came over and bit it. I actually now, after meditating and praying on it, that, that I, I was lifted up and I actually passed through that that red fluid and I ended up in this beautiful, I was on a gentle knoll in this grass, beautiful, tall, lush grass. But now the grass was a green, a deep green, like I've never seen. I always say, you know, even in the big box of Crayolas, there's not a color that looked like this. I was looking up into the this blue sky, just a such an absolutely unbelievable color blue again a color like i've never seen and it was i was just permeated with there was just peace all around me and that entity was back and i said am i out and now where i felt nothing before from him where i felt indifference i actually felt love for him now he loved me he says you are out and I said, is this real? And he said, this is real. And then everything sort of went black for a moment. And I'm back in my bed looking at that same block wall. But that, you know, that bright spot is gone. And I swear to you, if one second ticked by on the clock, I would be shocked. I think about how long I must have been there, right, to use up all the knowledge of the world. I mean... In my mind, I think it had to be no less than 10 years, maybe decades, that I was there. And I, I spent less than a second away from my body here. You know, and then I, I had kind of a stark realization that I don't think I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that is a staggering realization to come to. And then instantly, this is the first experience that I recall of actually knowing that it was spiritual i didn't know at the time but i know now that it was a spiritual battle a little a little voice says brain damage just in the back of my mind see now here's the amazing thing of all those injuries that we talked about before all all that trauma that my body sustained even to the spinal cord right i the 10 vertebrae and discs and all that right that were damaged i had no brain damage you know, they looked for it. There was no no signs of brain damage. And uh, miraculously, I didn't even have a concussion. I had no concussion, no brain damage, right? But this little voice says brain damage to plant the seed. And see, I, I would find out in my studies after, right, that, that that's what happens. Every time the Lord leads us closer to him, he gives us a vision. He gives us a thought. He gives us a whatever. The enemy doesn't want us closer to him. So he comes in, he twists it, he, he perverts it. He, he plants a little seed and he says something like, brain damage to cause that doubt, right? So I do, a lot of people ask, you know, what was the Red Room? It, it was not hell. I, I spoke once, twice, that a woman heard me speak a couple of times, and she finally came up afterwards and said, obviously you've read St. Faustina in her diary. I said, St. who? She said, you talk just like St. Faustina. And so she sent me a link, and St. Faustina has has described hell as to having like nine characteristics that red room fulfilled all of her characteristics except for like two there were well, three 
There was no blasphemies. I did not blaspheme God. I missed God. I, I was in horror because I lost God. There, the presence of the enemy was not there. I don't, we know who I'm talking yeah. about, right? I, in my next experience, I'm going to explain to you why I don't give him the respect of calling. Yeah, him I don't either. Him. That's funny. Or by <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was no smell. I didn't have the horrible, awful smell, but I, I didn't pray, you know, we're going to find out that I, I, I would shortly in the next experience, I, I'll tell you that I'll prove that, you know, prayer does come from God. But I do have a quick, I had an experience years later where it explained to me a little bit about what the Red Room is. And I'll do it just briefly, and if someday maybe we'll cover that in deeper detail. But at some point, all of us are going to kneel before our Lord, and we're going to love him in a way that we did not know was possible here on earth where our love will be elevated to a level we didn't understand before. We're going to love him like we loved nothing else in our life. We're going to realize that every one of our sins is going to cause him tremendous pain when he takes it from us, right? Because that is the only way into the kingdom to be washed in the blood of the Lord, right? And we are going to love him like we've never loved him. And we're going to know that our sin is going to hurt him beyond any measure of pain. And see, at that point, it's too late. We can't not sin anymore. It is too late to take our sin back. There is nothing we can do, and the only way in is through Him. And see, like, when I was shown that vision, I kept having scenes of the Red Room. Somewhere in that Red Room was this struggle, perhaps, of me not wanting to let go of my sin or not wanting to hurt him. I don't quite understand why, but I do know this. The white hot burning that I felt in my soul was my regret for the sin that I had done on this earth. And it was too late. The Lord, if I were to enter the kingdom, the Lord absolutely had to take on that sin. And it was going to cause him more agony than he felt on the cross. And so that's my explanation of what the Red Room was. It doesn't explain it completely. This is almost too much for anybody, our, our listeners included. But what's striking me is in what you said are things like calling to mind St. Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has ready for those who love him. And that's what you're describing, that you did see. And you're having a hard time verbalizing that experience. And even then, once you were there, it makes it, describing the knowledge that you had and that it profited you in no way. It makes me think of another passage from First Corinthians chapter 13, where he's talking about love. And everyone has heard this passage at a, at a wedding. But if I had all knowledge and if I had faith to move mountains, but I had not love, then I would be nothing. And that's what you're describing. And I also think about the experience of not of no further movement in eternity and being locked into that. And there's a there's a comedy, a movie. It's I, I kind of don't even want to name it just because I don't want to bring any attention to it, <laughs> but it portrays a clinic where people go who are dealing with short term memory. And there's one character who just walks up to everybody and says, hi, I'm Bob. 
hi, I'm Bob. Hi, I'm Bob. And that's all he says because his memory, his short-term memory is so short that he doesn't even remember that he just said, hi, I'm Bob. And the funny thing about that that movie is that it made me think about that that's what eternity is going to be like. And we have a chance here. If, if we were just talking about on the human level, just talking about on earth, we should live life as though at some point we're going to lose all of our long-term memory and we're only going to have short-term memory because if we have conditioned ourselves to complain, then in short-term memory, all we're going to do is complain. And if we've conditioned ourselves to resent, then all we're going to do with short-term memory is resent. And if we've conditioned ourselves to greet people, hi, I'm Bob, hi, I'm Carl, then that's what we're going to do with short-term memory. And when you said no further movement in eternity, that's how we should think about, although I has not seen ear has not heard, we can't really consider what it's going to be like. We should come up with ways to relate that experience because one of the, one of the driving forces of me wanting to share about the seven sorrows is a message from the magician Penn Gillette, who's an atheist. But he says, if you believe that heaven and hell are real, and if you believe that other people's actions could result in them going to hell, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them? And Ed, you, this experience you're describing took place almost seven years ago. And someone could say, this is, you just had a dream. This is just, but, but why would Ed be going around willing to talk for free, willing to go anywhere to share this? Why would he do that? And since what he's saying matches up with what St. Paul says and what we believe, I'm just saying we should share this message with others. This, this podcast episode is a perfect example of something that we could share with others. And we're going to hear more from Ed. I know that the audience is enthralled and wants to hear more right now, but we're going to hear more in the next episode. And I want to just say thank you, Ed, for sharing what you've shared with us so far. Yeah. Well, oh, how could I not? It would be sinful for me not to tell this message. But I'm going to, here's a teaser for the next one. This was an eternity that all I wanted was for it to end. And in the next episode, I'm going to tell you about a different eternity where all I wanted was it for it to go on and on. <laughs> That's awesome. So the next one is the next <laughs> one is the great. best one. And you know, every day we have a choice because as you were sharing the story, Ed, I, I thought of you in the hospital bed saying, I don't want to listen to, you know, the price is right. I don't want to watch Wheel of Fortune. I don't want to watch some soap opera. And you made a choice to turn off the dummy box, the little light of the TV, and your yeah. choice resulted in being able to see the bright light of that little, you know, business card size light that, that helped you to exit time and then get perspective on eternity. So let's make that choice every day. Let's make the choice to turn away from yeah. the useless temporal, you know, stuff, mundane stuff of the earth, and let's set our sight on higher things. Well, and tune in tomorrow for the next episode. I'm Carl Brown with our guest, Ed Joza, and his book, The Mystic Next Door, you can find at themysticnextdoor.org. I strongly recommend the book. I read it in one sitting. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today, and look forward to sharing this with you tomorrow.
All right. Our Lady of Cabejo, pray for us. And Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. Have a great day. Pray for us. Amen.